Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from the United States, Hungary, Canada, and a see you in hell from Guatemala. Going to start out this week in the United States, there are federal charges against nine abortion clinic blockers. These are people who use their bodies and, you know, chains, furniture, that sort of thing in order to block access to abortion clinics. Uh, the nine people who have been uh, accused of this crime committed them in 2020. Specifically, they blocked access to a clinic in Washington state. Uh, blocking access to an abortion clinic is a federal civil rights offense. Uh, however, it's the first time, this is the first time in a while that this specific law, which is called the FACE law, uh, has been enforced in this way. This is a signal from the Biden administration that it's going to, at least potentially, revive this means of uh, dealing with the people who are trying to prevent people from accessing safe abortions. Additionally, this story has taken on some other uh, salience because it turns out that in in investigating this crime, uh, police have found uh, fetal remains in the homes of one of the anti-abortion activists who was involved in the crime. Uh, she has since claimed that she had these fetal remains because they were given to her by a driver at the clinic. Um, but of course, that's almost certainly not true. It's likely that they stole them from one of the clinics that they invaded. Moving on to the ongoing aftermath of the January 6th attempted coup last year. Uh, at this point, federal judges, uh, specifically a federal judge in California, is saying um, that it is, quote, more likely than not, end quote, that Donald Trump broke federal law in his attempt at staging a coup. I mean, yeah, we sort of already knew that. Uh, the question really is exactly how prosecutable are these potential offenses? You know, is Trump going to face the kinds of sentencing that we saw in, you know, that we've seen in cases dealing with others who participated in the coup, particularly just like, you know, the civilians who actually uh, invaded the Capitol building? If that's not going to happen, you know, exactly what is going to happen? Um, is he going to be able to get away with it? Is he going to be able to try to prolong the process? That's what he seems to be attempting to do. Uh, but we just don't know at this point. Speaking of people involved in the attempted coup last year, Paul Gosar, a Republican from Arizona, is now attempting to distance himself from Nick Fuentes, a very popular and influential right-wing, I mean, I would even say fascist, podcaster, activist, political organizer, who leads a faction of the extreme right-wing called the Groypers, uh, G-R-O-Y-P-E-R. Uh, he is also the organizer of the America First PAC, the AF PAC, which I've spoken of several times on this podcast, which is a bridge between the extreme fascistic right wing in the United States and the Republican Party. Paul Gosar has been a very key part of that bridge. Now, what's happened this week is that Paul Gosar has gone on record saying that he regrets going to AFPAC and that, you know, he's even trying to claim that it was some sort of like staffing error, right? That his staff didn't properly vet exactly what it is that he was going to. Fuentes, however, in his extremely popular weekly show, Make America Great Again, is uh, saying that he, he thinks that this denunciation of Fuentes himself and AFPAC is a sham. You know, he thinks that Paul Gosar is just saying this in order to save face 
for the mainstream conservatives that Gosar needs to be a go-between for. The question is, which we just don't know, is that, is this just Fuentes trying to save face? You know, is he trying to make himself look like he still has the ear of actual sitting politicians? Uh, Is he trying to make it look like he still can bend the ear of Donald Trump himself? Because, of course, Gosar's function in this coalition is to be a go-between, between these fascistic elements like Fuentes or members of the Proud Boys and Donald Trump and the members of the Trump administration and just campaign apparatus at this point. So we really don't know exactly what is going on here. It's possible that Gosar is just saying this in order to try to, you know, cover his ass. It's possible that he can see some prosecutions coming down the line and is trying to save himself. It's possible that he's trying to signal that he doesn't want to be part of this coalition anymore. We really just don't know. Additionally, in the United States, uh, dealing with racism and the ongoing realignment of the Republican Party, there is a new campaign ad from J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance is the author of Hillbilly Elegy, uh, a very famous New York Times bestseller uh, from a couple years ago. It's a nonfiction semi-memoir about Appalachia. Uh, It's full of social conservatism, uh, personal and verbal violence, histories of drug abuse, uh, as well as stories about the people in Appalachia, specifically uh, Kentucky and Ohio, uh, as being very loyal and patriotic, you know, real Americans, that sort of thing. Now, J.D. Vance has taken this authorship and used it to launch a potentially successful political career. Specifically, J.D. Vance is now a candidate uh, for the Republican nomination for the United States Senate, which would be a big fucking deal. Uh, And this is in Ohio, an extremely important battleground bellwether type state. You know, it's the sort of state where uh, people can see like, well, if this will work in Ohio, it's possible that it will work throughout the rest of the country. Now, this commercial isn't just typically racist in the normal Republican way. It's, um, I, I mean, frankly, as, as as somebody who studies the right wing, it's 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 still kind of surprising to me. Um, it it's just it just begins with J.D. Vance, the candidate, looking at the camera, talking to the viewer, and saying, "Are you a racist? Do you hate Mexicans?" That that that's just what it says. It's um. It's it's atrocious, frankly. This is played off in the commercial uh, as uh, like things that liberals say to conservatives, uh, insultingly, right? Uh, however, uh, J.D. Vance's body language, which is all smiles, uh, and the general tone of the commercial gives it gives its actual purpose. It, it, it reveals it very clearly. He is literally appealing directly to racism in his attempt to be elected to represent Ohio in the United States Senate. He's literally appealing directly to people who hate people from Mexico and Central America in order to advance his political career. Uh, He's talking about, quote, real Americans, as opposed to those who he, I guess, believes are insufficiently uh, American. It's, um, again, frankly, I'm I'm, I'm surprised. Uh, I can remember only several years ago, when it was only people like Richard Spencer, you know, a, an avowed fascist, and at this point, an outsider in the extreme right in the United States, who was saying that may, maybe it was time to use uh, what he called the R word, racism, to, to just come out and say it, uh, that that the people on the right wing are racist. And at this point, it looks like it looks like that's come around, that they're just going to start using that word to describe themselves and their ideology. And disturbingly, it might work. 
Moving outside of the United States, uh, there's a short bit from the Catholic Church in Canada. Uh, specifically, the Pope has now apologized for the Catholic Church's involvement in a mass murder uh, of indigenous people over the last several uh, decades involving uh, primarily children. Specifically, these children were found dead in a mass grave uh, next to schools that the Catholic Church operated on the behalf of the Canadian government. Uh, these indigenous children were kidnapped from their homes and forced to go to these schools in order to essentially uh, engage in a re-education program uh, in order to purge uh, indigenous culture. Uh, this is, again, uh, something very disgusting, but with a very, very long history in the history of the colonization of the Americas, especially as it relates to the Catholic Church. Uh, what's interesting about this is that this apology is being given by the first Latin American pope. The, the first pope from the Americas uh, is engaging in this debate. Uh, exactly what will come of it and if there will be any sort of reparation uh, remains to be seen. Finally, in Hungary, we have some very bad, although not particularly surprising news. Uh, Viktor Orban's party has won in the Hungarian parliament election. Uh, these elections were held last Sunday against a fully united opposition, uh, by which I mean essentially literally every other major party in Hungary was uniting against Viktor Orban's party. Uh, and Orban's party won. Uh, they won 53% of the vote and will represent Hungary in the parliament to the extent that they, they continue to have a two-thirds majority in the parliament, uh, which means that they are able to change the constitution at their own will. Uh, this essentially gives Orban more or less complete control over Hungarian politics uh, and just maintains his mandate uh, as a, quote, illiberal politician. Uh, illiberal is his own word. Uh, that's how Orban describes his politics. Uh, Orban, as I've spoken of previously on this podcast, is primarily known for his um, anti-queer politics and his anti-immigrant politics. Additionally, these days, uh, he is known as a staunch ally of Putin, uh, a, specifically a Putin ally uh, who leads a country in the European Union. Specifically, another recent development after Orban's victory in uh, the Hungarian elections on Sunday is that Hungary will be complying with Russia's demand to pay for Russian fossil fuels in rubles, which will be a very significant boost to Russia's economy, especially given how much of the rest of the world, and especially the European part of the world, is turning against the Russian economy in the wake of that country's invasion of Ukraine. Finally, going to close out this week, as I do every week, with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history, this week, I am talking about Guatemala, and I am talking about a military dictator named Efrain Rios Montt. Rios Montt was born in Guatemala in the early 20th century to a middle-class rural family. Uh, he joined the army, uh, was initially incapable of attending officer school, but uh, eventually worked his way up the ranks to become an officer. He studied very diligently and was recognized as a pretty capable military officer. He even eventually got the, well, honor in the Guatemalan military of serving and studying at what would eventually become the School of the Americas, which was an institution run by the United States government, uh, specifically by the United States military, as a place for 
people working in the militaries of the Americas to train with uh, U.S. military personnel. Now, uh, in practice, the School of the Americas was a networking event for people who wanted to uh, engage with potentially right-wing and anti-indigenous uh, and uh, counterinsurgency politics and military practices in the Americas. And that is exactly what Rios Mont would eventually become. Uh, his military career continued and launched him into politics. Uh, his first political involvement was as a center-left candidate for the presidency in the 1970s. Uh, supposedly, he lost by fraud and then left uh, in sort of like self-imposed voluntary exile to Madrid uh, at the conclusion of the Franco regime in the mid-70s until 1977. He retired from the military and then converted to a, an evangelical Protestant church, uh, which makes him relatively unusual for military dictators in Latin America in the 70s and 80s, most of whom remained Catholic. This eventually was a sort of harbinger for the conversion, uh, I mean, I, I think we can say it at this point, the conversion of the Guatemalan population from Catholicism to Protestantism. Guatemala, uh, the first country in Latin America to have a majority that is not Catholic since, um, well, since Spanish conquest uh, back in the 15 and 1600s. In any case, uh, Rios Montt comes back to Guatemala in 1982 uh, to join a coup that had toppled the government in response to a possible leftist power grab and also some potentially fraudulent elections. Uh, Rios Montt is uh, presented as this as this sort of like good figurehead for the military. You know, he's a, he's a popular former presidential candidate. Eventually, though, he used this popularity to push uh, out the other members of the military government to become a dictator. And there, he engaged in a massive campaign of ethnic and anti-peasant violence in the countryside. Uh, Guatemalan's countryside is predominantly populated by people of Mayan descent, uh, many of whom speak Spanish relatively little, or at least predominantly as their first language, speak uh, one or many Mayan languages. Uh, as president of Guatemala, or as de facto president, uh, Rios Montt presided over some of the worst of this violence uh, that plagued Guatemala from the 1970s until the 1990s. Specifically, uh, under his tenure as president, uh, tens of thousands of people, predominantly of Mayan descent, were killed, and as many as 1.5 million were displaced as the military destroyed people's villages or burned the uh, forests, jungles, and fields which uh, these peoples um, needed in order to maintain their livelihoods. Rios Montt was ousted very quickly uh, in a counter-coup in 1983, uh, and was only able to return to politics uh, very, very later in the 1990s. Uh, he was unable to run for president again, uh, but served as the president of Congress in Guatemala. Later on, uh, his uh, star faded as uh, reports of his involvement in the genocide really overturned his extreme popularity. Uh, Rios Montt, despite his involvement in this genocide and despite his responsibility for it, remained a very popular figure in Guatemala, even among the people whom he had oppressed, uh, which is one of the things that makes him a relatively uh, fascinating figure. He was tried for genocide and for crimes against humanity in Guatemala uh, and was sentenced to 80 years of imprisonment in 2013. That result was overturned uh, only 20 days after it was enacted in 2013, 
Then there was a retrial announced in 2015. However, before this retrial could conclude, Rios Montt died of a heart attack on the 1st of April, 2018. So, Rios Montt, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please share it with friends, family, and comrades. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm Hist of the Right on Twitter, and I'm also 15 Minutes of Fascism at gmail.com. That's also where you can find my Patreon, patreon.com slash 15 Minutes of Fascism. That's 15 Minutes of Fascism, all one word and all spelled out. Also, uh, if you haven't been seeing them on Tuesdays for the next couple weeks, I'm going to be releasing parts of a mini-series, 100 Years of Fascism, uh, which um, notes the fact that uh, the Italian fascist party began its tenure uh, approximately 100 years ago. And so every week I will be covering one decade of fascist history. Uh, Next week will be the 1940s, so a very big one. All right, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. (laughs) 